Welcome to the Proto Hack Podcast, where we explore the world of non technical entrepreneurship. Each week, Proto Hack co founders Blake McCammon and Cole Fox interview different non technical founders on the ins and outs of being a non technical founder in the technical world. Tune in to hear advice from non technical founders who've made it, profiles of entrepreneurs who have launched businesses and successfully raised capital, and stories of those who have made the most of non technical skills to achieve success. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the ProtoHack Non-Technical Founder Podcast. This is Cole, the founder of ProtoHack, and I'm here with both Mike Murphy and also his co-founder, Velvet Nelson of Proctor Free. Mike and Velvet, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks Thanks for having having us. Definitely. So we're looking forward to learning more about Proctor Free, of course, and your background and any other entrepreneurial experiences you had um, over over time and, and leading to where you're at now. So uh, just to kick things off, I'd love to hear from uh, from either of you uh, how you came up with Proctor Free and, and maybe some milestones that you've you've hit so far with it. Uh, yeah, so we we started Proctor Free in 2012. Um, my entire background is in higher education, and Mike's is actually in biometrics and military intelligence. Um, we met at another startup um, called Everblue. Um, I was the director of accreditation there, so I gotten us accredited by the U.S. Department of Education. And Mike was the director of marketing at that startup. Um, when it sold in 2011, uh, we were facing a real problem. And that problem was um, we were offering online courses but didn't have any way to verify student identity or protect academic integrity. And so we started looking around at options because we were offering online classes to thousands of students and really just didn't know who was taking what class and if they were cheating or not. So we started looking around at options and we really wanted to find a solution that was scalable, cost-effective, and user-friendly. And there was nothing really out there that checked all the boxes for us. So Mike and I realized that um, we really could combine our areas of expertise and uh, come up with a better solution focused on technology. So we left that company in 2012 and started Proctor Free. Um, We then hired a chief technology officer whose entire background is in bank fraud detection. So uh, we combined all of our experiences to develop to develop what we have today. That's great. That's great. So um, you talked about hiring a, a CTO. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about that. How did, how did that come about? How did you find uh, your CTO and your technology so, team? Yeah, so that was kind of challenging. And can you still hear us, Cole? Yeah, it went blank for a second. Uh, you came back, though. Go ahead and repeat what you said. Okay. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Yeah. Yeah. So as Velvet mentioned, we had met at an education startup. Uh, my background, as she also mentioned, was military intelligence. And um, I worked on a lot of forensic and biometric projects. And while I'm not, you know, I don't have a computer science background, um, you know, I'm familiar with kind of software and I know certain things. I can read and write HTML, but I'm, I'm truly, I'm not a software engineer or a software developer. So you know, we had this problem at an education company and I had come from a, kind of a biometric industry and we, 
I was confident that the technology existed to solve this problem, and we were confident that the problem existed, and we understood the market. Um, so it was a matter of having you know the right team help us build this. So we went through a business incubator program and then applied for a state grant in North Carolina. And we won that state grant in uh, 2013. That was called the NC Idea Grant. And that actually exposed us to our first um, angel investor who helped us close out our first round. And he was really um, the guiding force in helping us identify our CTO. I think we looked at about 40 candidates total. Um, and we really, you know, of course you have to have a, a skill set match, but you have to have a personality match and someone that is at a point in their career when they're ready to stop and, and join a, you know, a very early stage startup. Um, at that point we didn't have a lot built other than kind of the concept and how we were going to kind of brand and market this thing and had, had completed some market research. Um, so finding the CTO, I mean, we went out on all the standard, you know, technical job boards we went, even went to Craigslist. And, um, you know, we interviewed people um, all the way from California to New York to North Carolina. So we're based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And our CTO had moved down from Raleigh, North Carolina to to work for us. And um, as Velvet also mentioned, he came from the banking industry where he's worked for some of the world's largest banks, uh, focusing on fraud detection. Um, so there was a good intersection, having an educator, my background in the intelligence and biometric space, and then someone in, in bank fraud detection. And we're kind of combining these skill sets to solve a problem. Great. Well, congratulations on finding the CTO. And it sounds like uh, finding the right network and, and through your, your angel investor contact, you found a good match. So that's that's fantastic. Now, um, one question I skipped over and we kind of went right into the uh, how you built your tech stack and found a CTO. Um, wanted to backtrack a little bit and just talk about the roles that each of you play um, in your business at this point. Obviously, you're both co-founders. You're both non-technical. You don't focus on uh, actually coding or or building the technology per se. Um, but I'd love um, just just so our audience out there who might be you know just getting into to starting their startup, just so they know what what roles should they focus on when they're building their startup. So maybe Mike and 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 Velvet, you could talk about how you differentiate your roles uh, right now with, within your startup. Yeah. So there's always going to be some overlap. And one thing I, we've told other people to start is I, I don't necessarily focus on, on titles to start. You know, if you're literally a company of one to three people, and especially if you're going out to pitch for um, funding, like it doesn't matter if you if you call yourself a CEO, like I don't think anyone's going to care about that. But they definitely, you know, they put a lot of emphasis on the team and the capabilities of the team. So um, I focus more on the marketing aspect of the, of our business and also kind of the product management side of it. So slightly more technical, um, but, you know, I don't necessarily try to get involved as the first line for sales. You know, I, I, can, I do demos. I, I can do that and I have done it, but my focus is really kind of on the marketing, branding and product side of the business. And, um, you know, there's a lot of overlap, but Velvet um, has some other roles as well. Yeah. So, so I focus on the sales side of things um, because I've been in higher ed for so long. I have connections and kind of know the ins and outs. So I'm able to connect with our customers and potential partners that way. Um, in addition, you know, you have to make sure the bills are paid and um, that you can still operate. So a lot of what I was doing uh, a few months ago was, you know, finances and making sure all of that was taken care of and HR and making sure all of that was taken care of. But we recently just hired a chief executive officer um, in February. And the reason for that was because, um, you know, finance was not my strength and, um, operations was really not my strength. And we knew that 
And so by bringing in that CEO, he can really take it and I can focus on sales and getting customers in the door. That's great. That's actually uh, very impressive to me because it reminds me of a, a founder, uh, a couple of founders that have been massively successful, one of which uh, was at my previous company, LinkedIn, um, that I worked at. Uh, Reed Hoffman was, uh, was originally the CT- CEO, and then mm-hmm. he stepped down, and they hired a CEO uh, to really run things and, and play to their strengths, and he was more of um, you know, playing to his strengths is more of a, a creative type and more of, more of seeing the big picture rather than running the day to day. And like you said, fell with the finances. So sometimes really focusing on your strengths, there's a lot to, to say about that. And it's really hard for a lot of founders to let go of, of a lot of things. And, and, and they tend to want to micromanage everything. And, and so, uh, sounds, sounds like you're making, you're both making a really smart move, um, uh, by playing, uh, to your strengths. So, Thanks for sharing that. Um, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about the some granular things about the history of your product. So a lot of what people do at our hackathons at ProtoHack is is it's all about prototyping. It's about you know be, using yeah. a lean methodology. You know testing things out. Um, take 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 us back to when you were just kind of creating this product, this idea in your head. Um, how did you start out? Did you maybe go to a hackathon? Did you talk to a lot of people? Uh, talk about some of the steps and processes you went to really polish this product and get it get it up and started. Um, yeah, so I mean, early on, it's it's so frustrating at times because you you have an idea and you're like, how do I get from my idea to you know post revenue and we're a successful business? And there's just it's like, where do I go to design it? What should it look like? Who do I call to sell sell this to? Um, at a university. Um, so as Velvet mentioned, we were in an education startup company. We were a for-profit company called Everblue. And we offered live and online training uh, around the world. And when we offered our live and online training, uh, so I had never worked in the education industry or for-profit education, but we would deliver classes through what's commonly referred to as a learning management system. And um, some of them are very well known, like Blackboard and Canvas. Those are probably the two most popular. So you, you kind of have an understanding of the different environments or the online or digital environments that students are accessing and then you realize okay i need to be there Uh, wherever someone's taking their online exam and they want to verify their identity i need to be there but you know who do i call and who do i sell this to so again we had conversations with mentors um, investors obviously when our cto came on board that makes a huge difference in driving you know what the product looks like but we knew that we needed to have either some sort of an application or we needed to be there in the online space um, when the student engaged their online course, when they engaged their learning management system, or, or when they started their exam. Um, so initially, we had hired a firm overseas, um, and we we're going to bootstrap it. But um, having that that first lead investor come in, he, he really forced us to pump the brakes, um, find the right technology person, and then kind of build out our staff. And we've we've you know we've been consistently making iterations on our service, so it doesn't look today like what we thought it was going to look like, and it looks different now than it did nine months ago. So. Um, you know, as you go along, you just, you keep learning, um, sometimes from assumptions or mistakes, but you just keep iterating and improving. So today what we offer is a web-based application. So it's, it's a one-stop, we call it a student portal and it can integrate directly with learning management systems like Blackboard and Canvas, 
or can operate independently of them. And our core competency is proctoring online exams. So that's identifying a student, profiling them, and then making sure whoever that student is sits there for the duration of their test. We use continuous identity verification to do that. And we, we secure the testing environment. So if they are allowed to use certain online resources, we allow that. And if they're not, we, we disallow that. And then we, we provide optimized reports back to the faculty to say, you know, here's the needle in the haystack. You had a thousand students take exams. Here's the five that you might want to go review where they had issues. And, um, you know, you can kind of forward that stuff on within the administration as it's appropriate. Great. So, so it sounds like, uh, some of the investors you met early on really helped, uh, form your, your product strategy and how it was built. And it yeah. sounds like you maybe have a pretty good advisement team as well. Um, who may and, and at all times, you know, is it, you have to be somewhat, you know, like I said, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a software developer, but you have to be able to understand how to manage it, like a project and have deliverables and have spec documents and kind of stick to it. So even if you don't have a CS background, um, I mean, there's just simple common sense that goes into some of this stuff. It's like, what is the user experience going to be like? Where do we have to have our pro where is it going to live in the digital space? And, you know, are we hitting our milestones as you're building this? And what are the what experiences are you getting when you're testing it and what and their actual partners and customers are using it? Yeah, that's that's great. Great wisdom to share. Um, and and on on that thought, um, were there any specific uh, areas where you picked up knowledge uh, such as books or online or anything that you recommend to uh, pretty much quote be dangerous enough be dangerous enough to just know enough for you know managing a tech project. Would you recommend any literature out there? Or? Um, well, just I'm more interested in kind of in, in marketing as like SEO and SEM is more interesting to me. So I follow Matt Cutts. Um, any kind of you know when Google does their major algorithm updates each year and they publish that information, I like that. Hacker News is a good resource. Um, Stanford did a, um, I want to say it was like a 40 part series on, you know, entrepreneurships and startups that they published last summer, um, short YouTube videos. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I, off the top of my head without kind of jumping in my web browser, yeah, I would say hacker news, um, things, things of that nature. And then again, um, you know, I ask our software developers what they're into. We don't necessarily have the same hobbies, but, you know, get to know them and figure out where their resources are. It seems like, um, if anyone, you know, we kind of have a, a joke here, but we don't want anyone to be stuck on a problem for 45 minutes. You know, first thing you should do is Google it and then go to GitHub or Stack Overflow and then ask the person next to you. I mean, there's no reason why, you know, if, you, if you're challenged with something, you can't find it through Google or any of those other like GitHub type resources. Yeah, definitely. Great. Thanks for sharing those. So let's jump into funding. Um, so it sounds like you've had some, some good fortune with, uh, getting, getting your business funded. Um, talk about how the story behind that and, you know, maybe some wisdom to share about how to approach investors, build up relationships with investors and, and maybe how you treat them outside of money as well and select them. Yeah. So we actually have been very, very lucky. Um, we've raised two rounds of funding and it's been from angel investors that we net networked with and knew, um, somehow or another, so in our first round, our lead investor, he actually uh, became familiar with us because we applied for that grant that we won, the NC IDEA grant in 2013. And um, he actually read our application uh, because he was on the committee to, to score applications. And he contacted us and said, hey, I want to invest in you guys because I think what you have here is is really good. Um, so it was really beneficial and 
took us by side that someone we didn't know, but someone who just read our, our business plan saw the vision that we had. Um, the uh, other two investors in that round are actually mentors of ours. Um, they were our former bosses at the last company that we worked at. So um, when we decided to step out and start this company, they agreed to mentor us and help us in any way they knew how. And so they actually invested in the company. And then our second round, um, again, it was just networking. Um, because of what we were doing and because of the local Charlotte startup community is a bit smaller, um, we were able to connect with the right people uh, throughout the entire experience. So when it came time for us to raise another round of funding, it was actually just connecting with those people that we had already known and who were already helping us and asking them if they'd want to invest. Um, and that's how we got our second round. Awesome. Awesome. And, and for you guys, how hard on a scale of one to 10, I know this is kind of a weird question, but to, but to get investment for you, how, how difficult was it just on an emotional level, a work level? Would you say it was relatively hard or relatively easy? Um, I can see where it would be incredibly stressful for people. Um, we actually, I have to admit, it wasn't as stressful as it can be. Um, for our first round, because we knew two of the investors, and um, the third investor had already read our business plan, and we didn't have anything. We didn't have finances. We didn't have a history. That round was very easy to close, um, just because they were basically gambling on an idea that we had. The second round, we originally, when we decided to raise that second round of funding, we originally went to angel investment groups rather than individuals. Um, there are several scattered throughout North Carolina that um, offer angel investments from a group perspective, and those were pretty brutal. Um, there were lots of questions surrounding our history and our finances and our success, and they just requested a lot of information from us. And um, it was pretty grueling for us uh, because we were trying to run a company and grow a company, and in addition to that, spend half of our day answering their questions and making them feel confident and going over our financials one more time and, and things like that. So ultimately that's why we decided to go with the individual angel investors. Um, just because, um, individuals, you know, you meet with them personally, you go over this type of stuff and, um, they're either ready to go or ready or, or not ready to go. So that really helped us. I see. And, and it sounds like you also received a great deal of mentorship. Um, however, uh, I know that a lot of startups these days are, are looking to go through an accelerator or business accelerators like Y Combinator, 500 Startups, among others. Um, what, what's your opinion on things like that? I absolutely recommend them. So that was the first thing that we did was applied for an incubator and we got in and it absolutely opened the door for us. We didn't know anything about startups. We didn't know about, you know, basic things like, you know, seed rounds and series A and how that worked. And we didn't know about NC idea, which was the grant that we won that opened the door for us. They introduced us to that and they really helped us get networked into the community by introducing us to the right people and getting us in front of the people that could help us, um, you know, 
start the company, you know, as far as, you know, finding a right lawyer for us and different things like that. So I highly recommend them there, you know, mentors in those accelerators and incubators are there for a reason and they really want to help people succeed and they were, will do anything in their power to help you. So it's, it's really beneficial to have that dedicated time to focus on that. That's great. So, and, and so you're in um, Charlotte, North Carolina. And, and can you repeat the name of the incubator you went through? Yeah, it's um, RevTech, R-E-V-T-E-C-H Labs. And they are based out of a building called Packard Place, which is the entrepreneurship hub for um, Charlotte, North Carolina. So it seems like there's a lot of incubators popping up now. So I would definitely... It, it, it like as as we've talked about, mentorship is very important. Charlotte's nice because it's kind of a big small city or a small big city. You can get a meeting with most people in Charlotte, you know, through some degree of separation. Um, and there's a lot of genuine people here that you know they're not necessarily looking for equity when they talk to you. Um, they just they want the scene or the entrepreneurship scene to grow here. Um, so yeah, Packer Place is great. The guy who runs it, his name is Dan Roselli, um, and uh, that, that that's a good start for a lot of companies. And then again. Just having, you know, you don't want to spend all your time meeting with mentors every week, but, you know, like a monthly check-in is appropriate or a sanity check for big decisions. Um, you know, don't spend, you know, $80,000 with a design firm if you could do the same thing for $20,000, that, that sort of thing. Sure. Great. All right. Well, um, so we're on the last question here just to wrap things up. So uh, pretty, pretty broad and, and philosophical stuff here uh, I wanted to get into as we tie things up. Um, I'd love to hear just what, what made you want to make the jump into entrepreneurship uh, for both of you and you know what you like, um, maybe even what you don't like about being an entrepreneur and uh, what, what keeps you motivated? Yeah, um, I think you know, really what motivated both of us and Mike will definitely give you his experience, but what motivated both of us was the fact that we took a risk and worked at a startup. You know, I was in academia and when they contacted me and said, Hey, come try this startup world out. I was really nervous, but I said, you know, I've been in higher ed for so long. It's, it's time to try something different. And when we um, were in that company, we just realized that it was the perfect place for us. It wasn't corporate, you know, there wasn't clock in at eight, clock out at five. People were passionate about what they were doing. They were passionate about um, coming into work every day and, you know, laid back atmosphere and everyone was friends and hung out on the weekends. And when, when, you know, when we saw this problem, it really inspired us to create that again, you know, since that last company had sold, we said, you know, this company is sold is probably going to change a little bit. Let's, let's try to create that again. And we both realized, you know, there's no other place we'd like to be, um, just because we have created that here and we really enjoy it. Um, and you know, motivating for, for me personally is, um, you know, really when we talk to partners and clients and we help them and, you know, they see what we see and they understand what we're doing and see why we're doing it, that, that really is a motivating factor for me. Mike, I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah, as, as Velvet mentioned, so I was always, you know, my most of my professional experience prior to this was in big defense contracting companies where you're, you know, one of you know, several hundred people potentially on a contract and you're very small spoke and, you know, some sort of policy or project. And then 
going to work for a growing startup. Um, it was really exciting. And, you know, I felt kind of the same buy-in from everyone, you know, to a mission and kind of respecting the leadership. And then, um, you know, being offered or having the opportunity presented to go off and pursue an idea with someone that I trusted in, in Velvet, um, who's I consider, you know, I, I I trust Velvet and I'll, I'll trust her for the rest of my life. You know, that opportunity isn't presented often. And, you know, when those decisions come up, you've got to, you've got to go after them and kind of pursue it. Um, so as stressful it is, as it is, you know, there's nothing I'd rather be doing right now in my life. And, you know, you know, we love the fact that we get to kind of choose the team that we have and choose the people that you bring on board. And, you know, we all get along and respect each other and we can see the progress, which is helpful. So even, you know, as busy as you are, if you just stop and look back, you know, three months ago or six months ago, the problems that we're dealing with now is a different problem set. So you kind of, you keep getting over these hurdles and challenges and it's just really exciting. Um, you know, you feel like you're, you are kind of making a difference, whether you have a social aspect to your business or not. Fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, well, in closing, is there anything else you'd like to, to maybe share any wisdom or, or burning thoughts or anything that you, uh, you think would be valuable to, to our audience out there? I would encourage people to, you know, think about how you're going to fund this. You know, you're going to bootstrap it, friends, family, or fools. Um, how much money do you have in savings to live off of? Um, you're not necessarily going to be post revenue in six months. You know, it, it could be a long deployment. It could, you know, take a few years. Um, so no, I just, I would think, you know, don't just think that it's, it's just like going to be on TV and you, everyone's relaxing and flip flops. It, it, there is a lot of hard work, but it, I think it's extra rewarding when it's your work that's um, resulting in kind of the payoff collectively. Excellent. Excellent. Well, great. Well, I want to thank you both for uh, for taking the time out of your busy days to um, share some of your wisdom and experience to our community. And um, in closing, can you just tell us, uh, just give us a quick uh, overview again of what Proctor Free is, and if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Yeah. So, so Proctor Free is a completely on-demand, automated online proctoring service. So if you're a college or a university or a corporate entity or a continuing education provider and you're looking to deliver exams online and want some way to verify student identity and protect academic integrity, you can give us a call. Our website is proctorfree.com and you can always reach us at 855-759-6569. Excellent. Excellent.